Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Can, can I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race line. Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rate of Tour Radio, episode 518. Coming to you on Monday, November 6th. We're going to look back at USC's loss to Washington. Well, probably not really that much. We're going to look back more so to USC and the firing of Alex Grinch as the Trojans off uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Rain of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, wherever you get your episodes. We are there. And of course, here on YouTube, as always, email address Rain of Troy at fansign.com. Phone number 818-643-7227. Second What's Brewing Show. show. I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host here in the Rain of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Elisa Daratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are excited to have another episode, uh, the third in three days, because <laughs> we had sort of an emergency episode on Sunday when SC sacked the defensive coordinator, Alex Grinch. So that, that here word we are, might, three days in a row. That word might be trademarked uh, by another podcast, so... Which one? Uh, emergency. Are, are we allowed to call our episodes emergency episodes? So I, 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 I try not to because I know that our friends over at the Parasol <laughs> podcast use the word emergency. Um, but I think other people use the word emergency too. Um, this is true. They, they, don't, they don't own the copyright, but yeah. <laughs> a, a, little, a little inside baseball. Um, during the season, I like to not watch other podcasts not listen to other podcasts yeah because you don't want like osmosis of opinions uh you don't want to you know have the same ideas whether it be naturally unnaturally subconsciously or just parrot other what other people are saying or any of those things however I, last night I, I watched the tunnel vision that our friends over at uscfootball.com put together for the Peristyle podcast. It was cathartic to me <laughs> to just like everything that Ryan and and Shotgun and Jack were saying. I'm just like, yeah, that, that that's what we said too. Like, yeah, yeah, like ev- I think everybody is literally on the same page about everything uh, with Alex Grinch right now. Yeah, and it, it just had to be done. We talked about this on, on that show, and I've heard others talk about it. It just had to be done. And we understand why Alex Grinch was brought over from Oklahoma. We understand why he was retained after 2022. 
I am I am not angry necessarily about those decisions. Uh, I think what frustrates me about this season is just that it took this long and uh, for what was clearly not working weeks ago to finally come to a head. But realistically, this is how firings happen. You don't fire people unless you get to a point where it is untenable. And I know everybody would like people to always be proactive and, and make, you know, make the change earlier where it can have a, a greater impact on the season itself. But these are huge decisions that have huge professional and personal consequences and no one likes to do them. Uh, so I'm not surprised that it took this long. I am relieved that it didn't take longer. This <laughs> is where I'm at. Uh, so it was just it was just beyond it. And I just saw Lincoln Riley is, was talking to the media just a moment ago, and he said that uh, he, he looked at the tape uh, from the Washington game on Saturday night and woke up basically on Sunday and, and said that there, they weren't seeing the progress that they expected to see defensively, yeah. and he felt that it was time to make a change. And that is... That's that's how it goes. Eventually, you come to a point where you can't make an excuse anymore. You can't excuse the thing anymore. You have to just act. Yeah, yeah. It 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 got to the point where you had to you had to do it. And um, I would have understood if they would have if he would have waited till after the UCLA game. But at the same time, it like like we talked about in the car cast, and you made the point of like. You, you need to drum up the NIL money. You need to get the buy-in from, you know, boosters and, and fans and all those things. And the quickest way to do that and get buy-in back is getting rid of Alex Grinch, especially when the, the yeah, we, we I don't think anyone expects the, the defense to be better um, next week or this upcoming week against Oregon. But it literally cannot get worse. Yeah. So uh, it it did yeah. make it made the most sense uh, in that instance. And that's the thing. Well. That's the thing is is I know everybody thinks that uh, you know this. <laughs> you never you do, we don't know what Oregon will or could have done against that defense. But it is noteworthy that USC gave up almost as many points to Cal as they did to Washington. So Completely at a different certain games, point, yes. you just, you at a certain point, if your defense is this bad, you will just like most opposing offenses, just like USC's offense. We talked about it, that it's really, really hard to be perfect, regardless of what defense is in front of you. The defense in front of you can be the worst defense in the world, but you still have to be perfect in order to put up, you know, 70, 80 points on the defense, even if you're, succeeding 95% of the time. Yeah. Uh and uh and and that's sort of what what happened with Washington is uh Washington was facing a defense that eventually Washington just made a couple mistakes and that was the difference between Washington scoring 52 and 70, but Oregon also is is still going to be a team that like realistically 50 points ish is is what teams will do to a defense like USC's, yeah. regardless of whether Alex Grinch is, is your coordinator or not at this stage of the season. What I want to see against Oregon are small changes that can maybe, maybe, maybe flip an outcome. 
the way that they didn't flip an outcome against Utah, the way they didn't flip an outcome against Washington. Yeah. Uh, and that's, and uh, you know, I think I saw you talking on, on Twitter about how it's, it's silly too, how close USC is to being a nine and one team with a really bad defense, but a nine and one team mm-hmm. none, nonetheless. Yeah. And if you make the, the, make the changes that you do, you install Brian Odom and Sean Nua as your co-defensive coordinators and they can't they can't fix the defense the defense is bad it will be bad on saturday against oregon there's no Mm -hmm. if ands or buts about that but they can do things differently that help flip a drive or two a play or two a quarter or two and that's sort of what i'm seeing i want to see more straight up defense. I want to see different personnel decisions. I want to see just things simplified and maybe things being simplified helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you know, I, I know that the Lincoln Riley talking about how there are, you know, a couple plays from these things is frustrating because it's been a couple plays several times, but realistically, like, yeah, the defense has been this bad. And yet they are, uh, if they didn't go for two-point conversions against Utah, that game would have gone to overtime. If they would have gotten one stop at the end of that Utah game, they would have won that game. Um, either either one of those ors. The Washington game th- this past week, if if they get one stop, then SC's got the, the ball with the chance to win it on the last drive of the game, right? Like, if you get one, one or two stops anywhere... Anywhere else, you you probably win that game or at least have a very good shot to win it at the end. So, and you know, going back to last year, the the first Utah game in, in Rice Eccles, you stop the two point conversion. The, none of the rest of the game doesn't have to change. You can still give up forty one points to Utah. You stop the two point conversion. You go twelve and zero. You don't have to face Utah in the in the Pac twelve championship game. You don't even have to win it anymore because you're twelve and zero. And as we saw with TCU last year in the Big 12 championship game, you can lose it and still go to the playoff. And SC would have been in that same position. Mm-hmm. And that's with this defense being as bad as it is. Literally stop a two-point conversion against Utah last year away from going to the playoff. So, again, imagine what they would be if they had a better defense then. Because, yeah, I think we all agree that like this is not a truly a, a – national title contending or national title like winning team but in terms of just getting to the to the playoff something that SC hasn't done like they're very they ended up finding a way to somehow be in that discussion with a horrific defense Um, so you just need to be marginally better at first obviously you need to be considerably better uh, to win a national championship or anything like that, but like you got to take a you got to take one step first, and we'll we'll see what happens on Saturday when SC plays Oregon. Uh, I'm not sure if I'd bet on SC's defense there, but you can bet on SC's defense over at DraftKings because Trojan fans, DraftKings is running a new promotion that you won't want to miss. New users can place a five dollar first bet to instantly claim 200 bucks in bonus bets. You'll also be rewarded with a separate no-sweat single-game parlay every single game when you opt in. 
All you have to do is uh, sign up with their code Reign of Troy. Using the code Reign of Troy not only gets you these great bonuses, but helps support the podcast. So um, the offer is only available to new customers who are 21 plus and physically present in legal gambling states. Please remember to always gamble responsibly and check the episode description for the full terms of the offer to see if you qualify. Uh, Alicia, we got a bunch of news to get to, so uh, let's get to the news, shall we? Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Reign of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Reign of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, we start with the news that uh, Alex Grinch was fired on Sunday after USC's loss to Washington. Uh, You mentioned earlier Brian Odom and uh, Sean Neuer are going to be the co-DCs. Analyst Taylor Mays promoted to safeties coach because SC then had one active slot to be uh, an active on-field coach and recruiter and all those things. Um, But the other news to talk about is that Lincoln Riley talked to the media on uh, Monday, today, about it. Um, and this is from Ryan Karchi of the LA Times. Lincoln Riley wouldn't offer specifics on what he's looking for in his next defensive coordinator, but I asked him what he's l- learned at USC about what it takes to have a successful defense. Quote, I know what it looks like, Riley says. I know what the change can look like. Uh, and the full quote is long. Go read it on, on Twitter if you want to. But I think the the interesting thing here is he says, I know what it looks like. I know what the change can look like. And ironically, Alex was a huge part of that. I watched the defense when we took over at OU. That was not the strength of the program. And I watched in a matter of several months how it became the strength of the program. And the chief reason why the last three years, the majority of those wins came on the heels of how well we played defensively. So yeah, great football is great football. And it, it takes the same thing, whether it's special teams, whether it's offense, whether it's defense, it takes a system that fits the players, it takes a culture, it takes the right kind of players, it takes the coaches all on the same page. Uh, he then continues to go on. So you can check out the full quote over on Twitter, but um, I, I, I think there's, a fair bit of coach speak there, obviously, when it talks about fair like, bit. you know, the 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 takes of this, the takes of that um, aspect of it. But I I do think that it's worth noting that yeah, um, 
the Oklahoma defense got significantly better under Alex Grinch when he got there. Um, the wheels came off eventually, especially when he got to SC, obviously. But there was a huge uptick from 2018 to 2019. Uh, we've talked about that before. Do, do you think that bodes well going forward and Lincoln Riley's ability to go out and get the defensive coordinator? Because at the time in 2019, Alex Grinch was someone who was absolutely uh, talked about a lot, right? He was a name. Yeah, yes, he was a name. The hire is a very encouraging hire in the sense of Oklahoma when they when they needed a new defensive coordinator, Riley went and pulled somebody out from Ohio State. Mm-hmm. That is the kind of hire that USC needs. USC yeah. needs We're going to talk about candidates. There are some candidates on the board that would be that level of you're going to another team that considers itself a blue blood or uh, considers itself uh, a top tier program and you want to go steal their defensive coordinator. That is a very encouraging sign. Um, He's going to get in trouble for half of that quote though. Sure. Because the defense at, this is the problem is that the defense at Oklahoma was good in a lot of games and very bad in some very high profile games that are just going to be circled. Uh, the, the losses that, that Oklahoma had were pretty high profile, bad defensive losses. Um, and, and, and this is probably why, you know, you probably just shouldn't speak if you're, <laughs> if you're a head coach, but this is also playing into, where we were coming from with Alex Grinch that it made sense for Riley to bring him over from Oklahoma because if you look at the Oklahoma numbers they're 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 not terrible they're not this bad uh and that is that is just the, the truth of it what i would be concerned about that statement is that calling the defense, the strength of Oklahoma's team while Lincoln Riley was at Oklahoma is, um, yeah, but that's a, that's a, that's a stretch and a half, but also I'm not in, the, I'm not in the business say, of picking apart yeah. the things that he, that he says, I will go to bat for Riley in, in one key area, which is people talking about Riley as though he will all like he has had and will always have terrible defenses. I just don't think that's a fair assessment of him at this point, because like we said, the 2019 Oklahoma defense was significantly improved from 2018 and was good enough to get them into the playoff. They ran into an LSU offense that literally did that to everyone they faced. So, you know, there's that. Um, 2020 was actually quite strong defensively uh, in terms of the numbers, at least. And 2021 was a slight step back, but it was still well, not not I, terrible. I, I don't think we need to, you know, talk about the, the successes of Alex Grinch too much. Um, yeah. No, but the, my point, my point being that, like, there's these accusations that Lincoln Riley doesn't care about defense, doesn't right. know what a good defense looks like, and is is just going to be content with having a defense that's that's crappy and and forcing him to quote unquote waste his Heisman talent. I don't think that's a fair assessment given the um given the 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 actual track record on the table. 
because he kept Alex Grinch after 2022 because he had an, a very strong example of how the 2019 Oklahoma defense was better than the year before, which last year's USC defense was better than the year before. And the 2020 defense was very strong. So he had a good reason for making that personnel decision. And uh, it obviously didn't work out. The gamble paid off terribly. Um, but the, to me, that's not a sign of a coach who's just like, oh, my defense gave up 30 points a game. More of that, please. Like, I don't think that's the way that Lincoln Riley is approaching this. And I don't think um, that that is supported by actual evidence. Now, if Lincoln Riley goes out and makes another defensive coordinator hire and it's a complete and utter disaster, then yes, I think it's it would be extremely fair to maybe look at him and say he does not know what a good defensive coordinator looks like. Right. But right now, I don't know that you can you can say that and be entirely truthful about it. I think there is evidence pointing in that direction. You can have that suspicion, but I don't think there's proof. Well, this is what we've talked about too. Like he's made one defensive coordinator hire in his life. It was Alex Grinch a year off of that incredible season at Washington state. Um, and so it, he, he was a name at the time, right? I, I'm, I'm pulled up the tweet uh, that Oklahoma tweeted January fourth, twenty nineteen, when they announced Alex Grinch as the as the offense, the defensive coordinator. My God, the the replies in here incredible. Mm-hmm. It's incredible, like the the hindsight, right? Oklahoma fans just absolutely creaming their pants about getting uh, Alex Grinch. Uh, there there was one comment. Yeah, of course. Now Ohio State, where is it? Uh, I, I missed it. Yeah. Of course, now Ohio State fans are saying that he wasn't a good positional coach. By the way, Ohio State fans, the bar at Oklahoma is not lower on, on defense. It's just been raised higher. And the the irony of, yeah. like, those were sort of Turning the same around. things that, you know, were ended, ended up being uh, said about Riley and stuff like that were interesting. But the, the point is, Alex Grinch, at the time when he was hired, was someone that um, that people wanted. Um, and so if, if Riley can find someone who has that cachet at the time in a couple of weeks, when he hires someone new, that is a good thing. If he hires someone who has the same output and has, and, and has the wheels fall off the same way that Grinch did, that is a bad thing. Um, the, the flip side here is like, or the, I, I guess the, the, the worry always is that every coaching hire is a crapshoot. Look at Justin Wilcox, mm-hmm. right? He's someone who's been a great defensive coordinator literally everywhere he's gone, except SC. You, I think that fear can always sort of be in your mind of like, well, what if you end up getting the right guy and it doesn't work out? You can make the argument that like, that's the Lincoln Riley problem, right? Like, Someone who's panned out everywhere he's been. Uh, if he ends up failing in SC, that could that could just be like how it goes, right? Like it, it's hard to to hire someone and get success. Like there's a reason that ev- just about every coach in America gets fired, right? You either get fired or you get promoted to another job that you eventually get fired from. So yeah, it, he, he's gonna uh, Lincoln Riley's gonna have to make um, the right choice there. 
Um, the other thing I wanted to to um, point out uh, was that Lincoln Riley said that he has decided who will call defensive plays between Sean Nua and Brian Odom, but he did not think it would make sense to divulge that publicly ahead of the Oregon game, which I think brings up two questions. Number one, do you agree that it doesn't make sense to, I mean, to put that into the ether and have that out there for Oregon to think about? And number two, do you think that this is potentially related to Brian Odom calling plays for Oklahoma in the Alamo Bowl two years ago against Oregon? I think the fact that Brian Odom called plays two years ago in the in that that bowl means he's calling play, he's calling plays like somebody one of these one of these two has experience calling a plays and one of them to my knowledge does not I think it's pretty damn obvious who's going to be calling plays but if you're Lincoln Riley yeah why give Oregon that why why let Oregon know with certainty anything about what's coming on the defense the bet the the best advantage USC now has going into the Oregon game is the complete mystery of how much is USC going to change? How much are they going to go differently? Do they have any tendencies that, that you can uh, yeah. exploit? If you're Oregon and you know for sure that Brian Odom's calling plays, you can look at that Al- Alamo Bowl and, and feel relatively confident in what tendencies you're going to see. Uh, if you're 50-50, you might still, you're still going to look at that Alamo Bowl and see what kind of tendencies are there, but you can't bank on them completely being exactly what you're going to see. Because yeah. Sean Nua could be calling plays, and then and then if you banked too hard on what you saw on that tape, then now you're screwed because mm-hmm. it's completely out of left field. So no, I I think I don't think that Lincoln Riley needs to divulge that information to the public. No. Yeah, I I don't think it would. Do I think it's the end all? But no, I don't think it's a it's a big deal. Yeah. But I also don't think it's a big deal either way. Um, yeah. I don't I don't think it changes our thoughts at all. Um, Neither one of these guys should be the next defensive coordinator. So, uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't matter uh, in that sense. Um, doesn't matter who to blame if the defense is absolutely awful and Oregon, you know, puts SC in a jiggle bag. Then nobody's going to blame Odom and Nua. They're going to still blame Grinch. Yeah. So um, it's just going to be the reality of the situation that way. Uh, other news to discuss, uh, the new rankings are out, the AP poll, uh, and the Trojans are not in it. And um, not a surprise, uh, SC is currently 7-3 uh, and three, um, on the outside looking in of the top 25. I believe this is the first time in the Lincoln-Riley era that he's ever not been in the top 25 as well. Well, it's definitely the first time at USC. I it maybe at the beginning of the twenty twenty season when they start when they I think they started zero and two. Yeah, they, they might have fallen out then. Yeah, I think they would have been out. That time. Either either way, um, yeah, this is this is uncharted waters for the most part. Uh, the the three losses in a season uncharted waters mm-hmm. uh, for Lincoln Riley. He's never lost three games in a regular season before. Uh, last year, the first time he had lost three games. Uh, in any season, um, so yeah, um, which, which is a is something to note. Yeah, whether USC comes out of this with three losses miraculously or with five losses in a worst case scenario, um, coaches learn from losses. Mm-hmm. Coaches learn from bad seasons, and we will see Lincoln Riley respond to what happened this season 
and it'll either go well or it won't. But yeah. in the end, if it goes well, it's because he learned from this season and ultimately that will make him a better head coach. Uh, or he won't learn from it and he will no longer be a head coach. So. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be fascinating to see how it goes next year in that sense. This has been something we, we see all the time. Um What's uh, what did you learn from the, the the season in which everything hit the wall? Uh, you look back at the remember when SC try after the the five and seven season in twenty eighteen they you know went out and got Graham Harrell they went well, out they got and Cliff Kingsbury which they got Cliff Kingsbury and then went out to get Graham Harrell yeah. right uh, and then they retained Clancy Pendergast but then ultimately got. Tyler Lander the next year. And so much of the talk was, well, um, they can, SC can do the Notre Dame thing. And the Notre Dame thing was to go out there and change your, basically do a complete staff overhaul when Notre Dame went four and eight in 2016. And then a year later they were nine and three. And a year later they went undefeated in the regular season and went to the playoff. Right? Like, mm-hmm. That Which, was, by the way, and 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 that whole thing was that Brian Kelly had learned uh, from the four and eight season and responded. So, if SC respond, like if if Lincoln Riley getting punched in the mouth and losing three, four, five games, whatever this ends up being at the end of the year, and it makes changes because of that, yeah, he will be better, and the program will be better going forward. Doesn't make it better right now. Doesn't make no. it feel better for anybody right now. No, but yeah. Yeah. The goal is to learn those lessons without having without, without having to have a losing record, yes. without having to go four and eight. Right. Um, which USC is not in danger of this year, but like the goal is learn, learn that lesson while while going nine and three, not not seven and five. Well, I think preferably. you can you can look at what was Clay Helton's biggest sin. Clay Helton's biggest sin was not making changes after 2017 mm-hmm. because SC went 11 and two won won the pack 12 and then ended up losing the cotton bowl to go 11 and three, but they went 11 and two. And at that point you're like, he, he looked at it as, well, there's no need to make changes because we went 11 and two, which again, we, very similar to the same situation of understandable. like, it's understandable how a coach can be like, well, I went 11 and two. So like, we were winning games so like we don't need to make the whole the whole big big change it backfired on him um on on clay helton because the next season awful purely awful well because Um, because and and it's a very similar situation to riley here yes coincidentally both cotton bowl losses Mm -hmm. but the cotton bowls both of those should have Regardless of the record, regardless of the numbers, regardless of the stats, regardless of all of that, those losses should have signaled that there was something not good enough and yeah. should have been. And and you have to maybe experience those losses in order to next time recognize like in a similar in a similar position, my hope would be that Lincoln Riley understands that. I can't just fall back on my record. I have to look at what happened in that game and yeah. why did it happen and what does that say about the direction of my program and take steps to fix it ahead of time before you end up in a situation like 2022. But this is also why 2023 this is all also why I talk about 
Lincoln Riley is a relatively young coach who still has a lot of lessons to learn that older coaches have had time to learn Mm -hmm. or have had space to learn. And um, that's not to say that he will learn those things. That's not to say that he is capable of learning those things. But we haven't, we have, you have to give him the chance to learn from them. Yeah. Uh, other news. Uh, let's talk about recruiting for a split second before we get back to the coaching stuff. Uh, the other news is that SC got a commitment from 2026 cornerback uh, Madden Reardon. Great name, Madden. Love that. Um, Madden Reardon from Sierra Canyon, Chatsworth. Uh, 2026. Long time away. He's only a junior in in high school right now. Uh, I saw a quote um, on on Twitter. I can't remember which publication put this out there. That he's like, yeah, uh, uh, Alex Trinch is a cool dude, but I'm committing to play for Lincoln Riley or something something he's along said, those lines. But no, Alex Grinch is a cool dude. Alex Grinch is a cool dude, but I'm committing to play for Lincoln Riley. Yeah, and Dante Williams. Yeah, and Dante Williams. <laughs> and I'm just like, well. Mm. My favorite thing about this commitment, which we're not going to talk a lot about this kid because he, he looks like one of the better cornerback prospects on the West in, in his in his uh, cycle. But that cycle is so far away at this point. I am not putting any eggs in any of the baskets of the of the 2026 recruits. Right. What I love about this commitment is that uh, the first tweet that I saw about the commitment, I'm trying to to find it. Um uh, Hayes Fawcett tweets that uh, the breaking news that he's committed at 12.56 p.m. on Sunday. Half hour. It was a half hour after Alex Grinch was announced, was fired. Like, <clears throat> the timing of this commitment can, was pure gold. Can I put my speculation cap on? Dante might have done it to... Uh, he's been like, hey, man, I know you've been silently committed for a long time. Can you just like? Can you just go public with it? It might. Yeah. It, it, it might be good for PR. Yeah. I. I. I don't know that that's I, the case. I I'm just absolutely believe it. I would believe it <laughs> from a. Hat. I believe it from a USC perspective. I would also <laughs> believe it from like Dante Williams is now in a fight to keep his job. Yeah. So the best way, the best argument that Dante Williams has always had to keep his job, the reason he kept his job the last time USC lost their their staff, is because his recruiting ability is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um. As I said on Sunday, love you, Dante. The recruiting has been wonderful, but also the entire defensive staff needs to go. Yeah. So, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, that'll wrap up the news segment. We want to talk about the defensive coordinator, but more than anything, we want to talk about a voicemail that we got. Uh, first thing, first and foremost, uh, the voicemail comes from uh scott in memphis uh and here's what scott in memphis had to say hey uh this is scott from memphis i'm actually not surprised that your rant line or rave run or whatever you call it is uh pretty empty probably right now (laughs) so anyway uh the question okay michael alicia question obviously grinch is done so if you're lincoln riley who would you pick to be defensive coordinator for next year? Uh, do we have to wait for the season to completely play out? Or perhaps uh, you already have an idea. Take care. Fight on. Thanks for the call, Scott. I I think it's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Um, I think that 
there's going to be names that are thrown around left and right. I, I think that, you know, you, you got your your uh, Leonard's, you got your Aranda's if he gets fired at, at Baylor, you've got your Manny Diaz's, uh, et cetera. Um, I don't have a favorite personally right now outside of like, yeah, Jim Leonard sounds really good to me, um, but I don't have a, a, a favorite. I don't know if you have a favorite, Alicia, but more than anything, I want to talk about the criteria for what that person kind of should look like, what the profile should be for a defensive coordinator. What do you think of that? Yeah, let's do it. Do you, do you well, first and foremost, do you have a favorite? Like just off the top of your head? Um, I mean, Jim Leonard feels like the home run. Uh, Jim Leonard feels like the home home run. I am very intrigued by the fact that Manny Diaz's name has even been thrown out there. Mm-hmm. I would take that higher immediately. This, this but isn't fair. There's a lot of names that have been thrown out there that I look at and say, if USC could get that guy, that would be a home run higher. But they also feel like the kind of names that would be the equivalent of me in October of 2021. Yeah. Uh, seeing somebody say like, oh, USC could go out and get Lincoln Riley, I would have laughed in your face. So I, I'm like, simultaneously, I'm like, there's no way USC has a chance. But then also I'm just like, well, I don't know, because uh, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, I, the, mm, I, the, the way, the way I look at it is, the, like you, you mentioned Manny Diaz. This is unfair to Manny Diaz, but I have not forgotten the BYU game. When he was at Texas, he was offensive coordinator. It was ten years ago, which that's is, the thing is the thing that like this is why I say it's let unfair. him learn and grow it's, from that experience. You're right. You're absolutely right. Uh, but like they gave up five hundred and fifty something rushing yards to BYU. Uh, Taysom Hill had like two hundred and fifty something himself, or whatever it was. Like that has been just so burned into my brain about Manny Diaz. And it's unfair. It's unfair because you're right. It's, it was 10 years ago, and, like, the data since then proves otherwise, which should be a, a learning experience for all of us to, like, not just have those gut reactions, which I think sort of leads into what we're talking about with our defensive coordinator criteria. So uh, if you're watching us on YouTube, um, pulling it up now, we are going to go down our little rubric for what we want to see from USC's defensive coordinator hire. Uh, bit by bit, this is must-haves, love-to-haves, nice-to-haves. Just like you're hiring someone at your job, we're, we're, we're hiring USC's defensive coordinator here. Let's start with must-haves, Alicia. What, uh, let's go down the first must-have that we have on the board. Uh, that is going to be experience coaching a top 25 defense. Yeah, I think that would bode well, right? I think this just this just goes along with a the hire should make a standard very clear. Mm-hmm. USC, we talked going into the season that USC could probably make the playoff with a top fifty defense. That's how good USC's offense is and should expect to continue to be under Lincoln Riley. He has yeah. produced these level of offenses every year that he's been a head coach, been an offensive coordinator. So that's sort of the, the 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 minimum requirement to get to the college football playoff. But it's not just about getting there. It's about being capable of winning a game, 
winning two games in the college football playoff or three, you know, winning the national title. To win a national title, you have to have a top 25 defense, in my opinion. Um, so that should be the standard. USC should be looking at somebody who has done that, preferably not as a just one-off, who has mm-hmm. proven that they can get that job done and, and be up in those standings. I shouldn't have to scroll very far yeah. to find the team that this coach was coaching. Yeah, I think... and. I think there needs to be some sort of evidence of like just very basic evidence that says this guy coaches on the, with this team. Look, this team has a good defense. Like th- this is just very simple and making it top 25. Maybe that's, it's a weird sticking point, but like, I think all the guys that you end up getting, getting put on lists basically qualify here. Like we're talking about top 25 guys. Like Dave Aranda has coached the top 25 defense. Brent Venables has coached the top 25 defense. Obviously he's not available, but you know, uh, Jim Leonard has coached the top 25 defense. Like those things should be pretty rudimentary uh, when you're going out and finding someone. And maybe the right perfect guy has coached the top 30 defense. Maybe, maybe that's the case. But I think top 25 is not a crazy ask here. So uh, let's go to the next point here on a must-have. It needs to be someone who is in demand or treasured at their current job. I this is, this is the whole Ryan Abraham thing. Hire someone who is good at what they do and that's someone that they want, right? Someone that somebody else wants. Mm-hmm. I, I think the only way that this can sort of be avoided is if you go out and get uh, someone who is previously fired from somewhere, but those guys would be still in demand. You would hope like, for instance, if, if Dave Miranda is fired as a, as a head coach, he would be in demand as a defensive coordinator. So he qualifies. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, and there are, there are guys on that I've seen thrown out there. Like Zach Arnett is a, the head coach at Mississippi state has been thrown out there as a name of a, of a head coach, a sitting head coach who could get fired. But just because they got fired as a head coach doesn't mean they aren't still like the reason they got hired as a head coach is because they were a very good coordinator. Usually Mm -hmm. Uh, Tom Allen at at Indiana is in a, is in a very similar boat. So uh, 100% one of those things where if the opposing, if the team that you're taking this person from is happy to see him go, Mm-hmm. then you maybe have not done your due diligence. Yeah. Z- Zach Arnett, you mentioned, left uh, San Diego State in 2019. San Diego State had the number five defense in the country. So he qualifies uh, and would be in demand as a defensive coordinator. Uh, next one, um, a reputation for talent development. This one I think is massive. SC's problem is, is like I I know that we can sit here and say that the, the 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 talent needs to improve and all those things that I agree, but I think the chief fundamental problem is that SC doesn't develop its talent because when SC does have the five star guys, when you've got and this has been systemic for the last decade plus since Pete Carroll left, you have your your Damani Jacksons, you have your. Uh, your your Corey Foremans, et cetera, your five-star guys, SC isn't developing those dudes anyways. 
you when you get the talent, like you got to be able to develop talent, right? There's a lot of talent on USC's current defense that should be playing better than it is, that would be playing better than they are if uh, if you put them on a different USC defense. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, this is this might be my number one. I, yeah. I I think recruiting is great and all, but if you can't turn those five stars into five star players at the college level, yeah, then what are you doing? Uh, if if the talent that you have out there is lesser than it's showing, like I think of somebody like Talanoa Hafanga, who yeah. was an immense talent, yeah, best player on the field for USC uh, at the at the college level. But he goes, what, in the fourth round of the NFL draft? In part because the defenses were just never... The the defenses around him were never great. He was sort of just felt like a singular player who was just doing incredible things on his own. But I, I just th- I think that hurt him ultimately in terms of, um, in terms of draft stock and, and the like. So, yes, take your talent, recruit your talent, but get the most out of them as possible. Yeah, it's why I think somebody like um, Trent Bray over at Oregon State is a really, really intriguing mm-hmm. option because Oregon State does not have the recruiting prowess that USC has, uh, but Oregon State has one of the best defenses in the Pac-12 because they are identifying talent properly, they are yes. developing talent properly, they are producing great linebackers, they are producing uh, great defenses across the board. And that is something that USC needs. Yeah, and Trent Bray was the linebackers coach at ASU uh, in the early 2010s for like Vontez Perfect when they had a great defense that way. Uh, mm-hmm. He was a Bryles candidate in like 2016 at Nebraska. Like he's been known for talent development and as a positional guy before he's a defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he he's someone who absolutely would be on that thing. This is why too that. I, like I, I know that so much of the the talk about SC getting to say the level of Georgia and Alabama, et cetera, is uh, needs to be a result of recruiting at some points and the uh, blue star, uh, blue star, fi- the five star blue chip uh, ratio, all those things. But I think SC can just be better just by having having you know better coaching on defense because like i mentioned the other day like would you trade sc's roster for say arizona state's roster on defense for arizona not for, yeah for, for arizona's, arizona's. I mean, th- th- probably not right this is the frustrating thing about usc's defense i know that usc's defense personnel wise is not is not Alabama or Georgia level. It's not Michigan level. It's not yeah. Ohio State or Notre Dame level. I'm not. I'm not in that delusion. But there are defenses across the pa- the Pac-12 at at least. Let's talk Pac-12 that have far less individual talent than USC has on the field on any given Saturday. Yeah, they're just doing a better job of coaching them up, co- coaching them up, putting those players in a position to succeed, and understanding which players need to be on the field and which don't. Yeah. Yeah. And playing as a unit, playing together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Uh, let's go to the next one, uh, which is a track record of success. 
Uh, I think this one is sort of maybe the eliminator for Johnny Nansen, by the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnny Nansen, the defensive coordinator at Arizona, having a great season. Absolutely. That defense is way better than I think anyone imagined they would be. Yeah. And kudos to Johnny Nansen for being able to do that. I wouldn't have expected it, et cetera. I think Johnny Nansen's a great recruiter. I think Johnny Nansen is, uh, you know, a, a good positional guy, et cetera, whatever. I, I don't think Johnny Nansen's a bad coach. I don't he, think he has a track record of being a great defensive coach in terms of like a track record of success. And I think you want to find a guy who has a track record of success, not just one year, like a one year phenom guy, especially a one year phenom guy. Um, when they have a long track record, right? Like it'd be one thing if, if Johnny Nansen was say uh, 30 and had one year of success because he's an up and comer, but that's not the, that's not the case. And, and this isn't to say that Johnny Nansen should like not be remotely considered, but like he also, he shouldn't be in your top 20. Five, no. 30, yeah. 40. Yeah, there's there's a big difference between like the 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 worst thing USC could do here is hire a one hit wonder. Yeah, and it turned out to be that they were a one hit wonder. Uh, you can check a lot of the boxes here uh, that we're going through for one season, but you need to do it multiple seasons to prove that that's a you thing and not just mm -hmm. a perfect storm of talent that happened to all fit exactly what you were trying to do and have every bounce go go your way and this that and the other thing. Yeah. Um. You know, like I, I think that you look at um, you look at someone like Trent Bray versus uh, versus Nansen, and both of them took over defenses that were still sort of in a rebuilding phase. Uh, Bray has two two seasons of of really really outstanding excellent defense, and it's still a it's a small sample size, um, but his track record is mostly positive across the board. Yeah. Um and someone like Nansen it's it's impressive what he's doing this year but you got to you got to replicate this for Arizona next year before I'm I'm I really take it seriously as a uh as not just a, a flash in the pan when you know last year that Arizona defense gave up 36 points per game. Mhm. Mm yeah, and absolutely. And then you're talking about someone like Manny Diaz, I think it's example of why a track record of success is important because you can overlook the inverse which is the one bad year right like the yeah, the, he, yeah he failed at texas and like i said i think it's unfair of me to sort of look back at that but like his problems at at uh at you know other stops haven't been uh haven't been remotely the same uh and he failed it at, at at miami as a head coach not as a defensive coordinator. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think the track record of success, I think, is is important here. Uh, last thing to talk about in the must-haves. Mind you, there's other things that I think that might be on your personal must-haves, but I would argue that those would be love-to-haves and nice-to-haves. So the last thing on the must-haves is a clean record on and off the field. This is USC still. This is SC that has a history of... Uh, violations with the NCAA. It's a that it, we know that SC is very conservative over those things now. This is uh, still a university that has issue like we've had the Mike Bone thing. 
we've had we had to you know sit here and talk about uh the other stuff with, with the other controversies and all those things you want someone with a sort of clean record of uh character on and off the field and all those things yeah so basically no usc is not going to hire kocho as their defensive coordinator aside from all the reasons why you shouldn't have done that even if this wasn't a a a, an issue um this one is interesting when you're evaluating someone like jimmy lake who under every other circumstance would sort of be a really interesting figure for usc but there's a i mean jen cohen fired him at washington for a reason um and i think that i think that there is a conversation to be had about that particular transgression and his path forward and his viability um but that is a an issue that usc will have to contend with uh, when it comes to someone like jimmy lake yeah yeah i i i agree uh, let's go to love to have. These are the things that you want this guy to have. Um, maybe the, these aren't maybe a hundred percent foolproof things, and that's why they're in love to have. First one is previous defensive coordinator experience. This I think for most people is in must have. The reason I have it here, we have it in love to have, is for someone like DeAnton Lynn. Yes, over at UCLA who was not a defensive coordinator first and then be- he was a NFL staffer and then be- gets the the defensive coordinator position at UCLA and succeeds. I think there is a a world in which a guy can be working for a defense that is a top 25 defense, for a very good even NFL defense, whatever it is. Um and still end up being the right guy to be the defensive coordinator, the right guy for a promotion. This is the same thing when you're hiring an off, uh, a head coach, going out and hiring the Brent Venables type guy, right? The 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 dude who's re- ready to take the next step forward that can absolutely succeed. There is risk involved there. Take that for what it what it's worth, but it can succeed. Uh, which is why um, previous DC experience is a love to have and not a must for me. Yeah, and uh, but Danton Lynn is a really good example too of the exception to that rule yes. that is such an exception, especially because it's easier for that exception to exist when the person had NFL experience. It's mm-hmm. especially easy for that exception to be made when that NFL experience was with the Baltimore Ravens. It's especially an exception that can be made when that assistant coach was the head coach of the East squad in like the East West shrine bowl, like that kind of, those are signals that this guy is legitimate, that, that legitimate NFL defensive minds think he is an up and comer. Those things you take seriously, but absent those things, absolutely DC experience should be way, way, way high up on the list uh, I would I would argue that I wouldn't hire a uh, I wouldn't hire anybody who doesn't have DC experience unless they were coming from the NFL in a similar circumstance as as DeAnton Lynn, where they're like a, a rising star in the NFL. Yes, and getting I agree. that and getting that chance. Yeah, and if you hired Lynn now, he would have previous. DC experience, so he wouldn't qualify for this little exception. Although DeAnton Lynn is a really good example of the track record of success 
question is if you hire Danton Lynn, who is on is on my list of guys to watch only because there is a chance that Chip Kelly gets fired. And if Chip Kelly gets fired, then there is then all bets are off in terms of that staff. So go and get Danton Lynn in, in that case. But you're also if you make that higher, for instance, that this is a one year wonder potentially coaching somebody else's players, Bill McGovern's players, um, the, the lack of sustained success there makes that a gamble. Yeah. Uh, let's go to the next one, which is ace recruiter. I think you ideally you want your, your new defensive coordinator to be someone who is a great recruiter. The exceptions to the rule of this are someone like Dave Aranda, who's not necessarily a great recruiter, which is why it's loved to have and not must have because you need someone on your staff who's a great recruiter, but ideally you want your defensive coordinator to be one of those guys too. Um, yes, and that's the thing is is USC needs USC needs to recruit better on defense. Um, but that is not the end all and be all. There's a reason why I'm saying that the entire USC defensive staff needs to go, including someone like Dante Williams in that assessment because recruiting alone is not enough to justify your place on a championship level defense. Mm -hmm. Um, this is where, you know, Jimmy Lake, really, really strong recruiter. Uh, Manny Diaz is a good recruiter. There, there are guys out there who are very good recruiters who also pair, uh, developmental records and, uh, and, and experience and all of that kind of stuff together. Uh, I I would value recruiting, but it's not an end-all be-all. Yeah, ex- exactly. I, I think recruiting absolutely should be valued when SC needs to make changes to the personnel. The SC needs to improve the personnel. But um, is that number one on my list? No, uh, but it's absolutely up there. Uh, let's go to the next love to have. Uh, it's experience with a high-volume offense. I think it would be a very good thing for USC to have a – defensive coordinator who has been in the situation where he is dealing with a, a roster construction where the team has a, a, a offense that is great. And knowing the, the issues that may that come from that, whether or not those things are real or not, we can debate, you know, to the cows come home. But I think that having that experience, I think is important because you are going to be on the field more. You are going to like have to understand that maybe you end up giving more point, giving up more points per game, but that might not matter because you just need to be like, you can be a 20 point defense instead of a 13 point defense and be the best 20 point defense you can be. And case in point again, Dave Aranda at LSU, uh, won a national championship on a high octane offense uh, with with the the an incredible offense uh, alongside him. Yes, my issue with this is that uh, I don't know what it is about a defense that's opposite a high octane offense that is different in from a coaching perspective. Mm-hmm to ha- to fielding a defense that's that's opposite a, an offense that's just sort of middling or or bad on a play per play basis you still have to succeed at the same things right you still have to get the same kind of stops 
So to me, experience with a high volume offense, just it might just signal that you have been at a program that is capable of putting up points in the past. And that's probably a good sign that you were on a team that was good enough to have a, a, a good defense and a really high octane offense and that you have experience in that kind of squad. But aside from that little like that, maybe there's some sort of uh, correlation for success there. I don't think it makes a difference. Like, it, like, I don't think that you that you have to have that experience of watching your defense give up more points um, to know how to keep your per play averages lower. Right. To know how to keep your efficiency at a rate that makes you a, a solid, a solid uh, defense. Yeah. I, I don't think you should go out there and only look at say air raid uh, defensive coordinators who work with an air raid. And I don't think SC has an air raid. That's not what I'm saying here, but like that you should only look at like defensive coordinators who worked with Mike Leach or something like that, because I don't think you should limit yourself to that. Uh, but I do think that experience there is a, is a plus uh if nothing else i think it i think it quells some concern about uh, from, from fans uh because we know that this is a huge talking point the whole lincoln riley doesn't care about defense thing is a narrative that sc fans and college football fans in general latch on to so if you could hire a guy who has a great defense despite having a roster construction that is built on having a great offense then um, that's gonna that's gonna bode well and drum up I think a lot of positive support. But again, you know, results are the, are the most important thing. Uh, next love to have thing here is Power Five experience. I think this goes without saying. Um, as as much as you know, if the if the right guy is at South Alabama right now, then the right guy is at South Alabama. It's not that big of a deal. But I think that Power 5 experience always is going to be something that you, you value just based on the strength of competition that they coach with. Yes. And against. Yes, because Power 5 experience means you are playing Power 5 offenses. Right. And we have a, 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 a standard to judge you against against Power 5 offenses and Power 5 talent. That matters. Yes. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's go to nice to have. Uh, these are the things that slightly less um, we can we can debate these more another day or whatever, but slightly less, but still in the nice to have things that you ideally would still want your coach to have uh, a championship pedigree. Um, not necessary because some guys haven't been in, a, in the opportunity to succeed and be a, a championship winning defensive coordinator. But if you go out and find find someone who is that is absolutely something that you want to have. Yeah, it, it certainly doesn't hurt. I think a lot of guys are disqualified because it's very hard to have that. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we don't want to be disqualifying people for that. But if you have it, that's a that's a big plus. Yeah, absolutely. Next one, and nice to have, uh, is experience in the Big Ten. Uh, I don't think this is necessary because you just need to have a good defense. Having a good defense in the Big Ten, you don't want to just have a, a defensive coordinator who can only stop Big Ten teams. Because, hey, you're going to have to face teams out of conference and in bowl games and all those things. But having a, a guy who has experience in the Big skin, big Ten landscape, who can recruit those areas, who knows the type of environments that you're going to go up against, 
was was, comfortable with all those situations. I think it's already familiar with those teams. Yes. That's a plus. Yes. A hundred percent. Next one. That's nice to have uh, is USC connections. This one I I debated not even putting here, honestly, because it's so not important, but it's one of those things that I think is nice to have. But this cannot be in a must or love to have situation. And if it is on your board, please erase it. Like they don't need to know the, the 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 fight song. They don't need to have gone to SC. This isn't a situation where SC needs to go out and make uh, Chris Claiborne the defensive coordinator and Sewer Cravens the linebackers coach and uh, uh, Mike Patterson the the line coach and like no. You find the guy who has the best experience, but if they have an SD connection, that's not that that's that's a nice plus, but it's not the be all and end all. If USC could convince Ryan Nielsen to come and be the defensive coordinator, that would be lovely. His USC connection would be lovely. Yeah. But unless it's somebody of that caliber who is a current sitting defensive coordinator in the NFL, I do not care if they ever played in Cardinal and gold coached in Cardinal and gold or have any connection to, yeah. uh, to USC. Yeah. Do you care that Ken Norton was a Bruin? No, you don't. No. no. Uh, next one. Nice to have SoCal connections as well. This is more important because the SoCal connections in recruiting potentially could yield big results. We've talked about how USC is not recruiting places like modern day well enough, uh, that, th- that those are areas where USC needs to, be getting the top talent that uh, mm-hmm. it's all well and good to be recruiting nationally the the big players that you want to get but you can't also let your national talent from California from the Southern California area leave yeah uh, so that's the, the that's way more important than USC connections yes at the same time you can have a staff that has SoCal connections yeah you don't it, need your defensive coordinator necessarily. Yeah. To, yeah. To, if Jim Leonard's never been in the state of California before in his that's life, not, yeah, which that, is not the case, but let, let's yeah. say it was, that shouldn't be an eliminator. Yeah. Um, next one up here is success at multiple stops. Going back to track record of success, I think this one is one of those things that just further emphasizes a, a resume for me is if you are have done things at multiple stops. I always think of Matt Rule as a head coach. Matt Rule built up Temple and Baylor, did the same thing at both spots, which is why it was a good hire for Nebraska to get. If you've done it twice, that shows that it's a track record of success and that you are a proven commodity. Yes, absolutely. And that's the the plus for someone like Dave Aranda, who was a great defensive coordinator at Wisconsin and a and a championship winning defensive coordinator at LSU. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just proof of concept. It's proof that you didn't just have a miracle defense where your uh, you had the right players at the right time and that you that the only time you're gonna succeed is in those circumstances. You create the circumstances that create success for you. Yeah. You also didn't just inherit a bunch of dudes or inherit a system or or, or whatnot. Or it wasn't just about your linebackers coach being really good and and making up for whatever else you're doing. Yeah, this is slightly my concern with Jim Leonard, by the way. Uh, Yeah, he had success at Wisconsin, but Wisconsin always has good defensive coordinators. Uh, Different head coaches, but they always have good defensive coordinators. So, Um, all right. Um, 
last one, two, two last ones. Uh, member of a successful coaching tree, again, just like the multiple snaps thing, If if it, it's just more reasons to think that you are a sure thing. There is no sure things, but anything to mitigate risk is great. Yeah, again, all risk mitigation. It, it These things aren't guarantees that you will be successful, but the successful coaches that are out there usually check a few of these boxes yeah and uh and having you know having learned from someone like uh nick saban or kirby smart it kind of does feel like that's a that's a plus having having that level of of experience with people who have done it at the highest level and knowing what that looks like is, is a plus and that's the same thing with the nfl experience in the nfl you know what it looks like in the NFL. You mm-hmm. you see success in the NFL. Uh, the standards of, of NFL talent. Uh, it's just a good thing to to have a yeah. reference for. Yeah, not necessary, but uh, it helps. It 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 is a extra feather in the cap for sure. Uh, so that's our criteria for USC defensive coordinators. So whenever you think of somebody and you think, would Michael and Alicia like this person? Uh, Check the criteria yeah. and, and see where they fit. Um, uh, they need to have the must-haves. Uh, you want them to have the, the other ones, but the yeah. must-haves are important. So, all right. Uh, we got to get to over-under uh, before we go to the mailbag and end up wrapping this thing up. So uh, let's get to over-under, shall we? So you're going over. I'm feeling bold. Give me that over. I'll go under. I got to take an under here. I got three unders to take. I'm going to do an under here. Okay. Rapid fire. Over under. Going into the week, I had a big lead looking to expand it. I thought there was a chance that I could get it on Marshawn Lloyd carries, which is your first over under, but Lisa, he did not play. Did not play, so we've taken it off the board, which means we're all winners. <laughs> Everybody gets a victory I, for, for over under. I will note that Austin Jones had 11 carries, which would have, if, if it's one for one, would have been under. Probably wouldn't have been, but yeah. who knows? Yeah. Uh, my first over-under was uh, over-under 4.52 yards per carry for, uh, for Washington. Lol. Uh, yeah, it was uh, way over. They had 11.6. Yikes. Uh, you took the over, so congratulations on that one. Uh, next one, you said over-under 149.5 receiving yards for any Washington receiver. Uh, I took the under-under not feeling this one. Uh, locked you into the over. It was the under. SC held Romo Dunze to 82 yards. And I think that if you would have seen that before the held? game, that would have... Well, so... Held? Uh, they just didn't need to pass the ball that much. But this is the thing. Yeah, ex- <laughs> they exactly. Two, they, 316 yards on the ground. Exactly. Like, if you yes. had, if you re- reappropriated those rushing yards to the receivers like they normally would do it, in every other game, it wasn't. This might have been a, a contest, yeah. but it wasn't. Penix didn't throw for a billion yards. That's no. only because he didn't throw. He didn't need to. Yes, it it, it wasn't for a lack of uh, of inability to. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, my next one was over under 17 and a half, 10 play, 10 plus yard plays for Washington. Uh, you smashed the over on 17 and a half, 10 plus yard plays. Never been more confident about a thing in my life. Uh, it was over. It was 20. Yeah. I thought this was going to be way more than 20 before I looked at the, before I looked at the numbers given how the game went, but it was 20. Yikes. Yikes. 
Uh, next one, you said uh, over under 99.5 yards for Taj Washington as uh, a receiver. Uh, I took the over on this, and it was over. He had uh, eight catches for a buck 22. He is wide receiver one. He, undoubtedly, mm-hmm. yes. Uh, I, I think you can make the argument about Brendan Rice, but it's it's Taj. No, it's he's, he's the first look. Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's go to the last one. I said over under four and a half Lake McCree catches. Uh, you took the under. Uh, smart move for you because you get this. It was four. This nearly hit. He had exactly four catches, and he had those four catches like somewhat early. Mm-hmm. I I do like, and I wish USC had done this earlier in the season. Lake McCree has become a very uh, useful uh, dump off option, mm-hmm. an outlet. And I like that Caleb is taking that option now, trusting yeah. him. He deserves that trust. And I think that if this continues, he will pop up and have a few games where he's the man. Yeah, 100%. I think it's crazy, though, that he had 22 yards, but 33 yards from <laughs> yards after catch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a negative play in there. Um, all right, so uh, for the week, because we each got the Marshawn Lloyd thing correct, that's how we're, we're, we rule a negative because we want to keep the uh, the things in multiples of six because I'm weird. Um, you went four and two, and I went three and three for the week. Uh, so on the season, I am now 34 and 26, and you're 28 and 32. Uh, did anyone go six and oh? Yes. USC Glenn, JB Boone, 81-83. Cameron from Frisco, Texas, Monterey, Michelle, and Ryan in Sun Devil Country. So congratulations uh, for that, for going uh, a perfect 6-0. and oh. uh, The season leaders in over-under for Reign of Troy over-under games uh, is G-Pat, who has a two-game lead uh, over Vince in San Diego. Uh, G-Pat is 42-18. and 18. Uh, Vince in San Diego is uh, he's got 40 wins uh, followed by Trevor M at 39 so uh, that's where we are uh, with over under so we'll we'll check back uh, before the uh, Oregon game as we get ready for USC and uh, and Oregon coming up on uh, Saturday but uh, let's get to the old mailbag shall we You've got mail. All right, we got to start with the rant line because we didn't play this earlier, but you guys had rants. Here's what you guys had to say after USC's loss to Washington. Alicia, Michael, what the hell did I just watch? Hello, Raina Troy. It's Cameron from Frisco, Texas. Hey, Raina Troy. It's Dan from Valley Village. Hey, guys, this is Michael from the 563. Hector from Pomona. Johnny from Tennessee. Tony from Denora, PA. Uh, this is Philip from uh, out here in Texas. Hey guys, Jeff from Copenhagen here. Um, you know, Denmark is supposed to be where I live, the happiest country in the world. Even today, the entire country is mourning for our loss. Lincoln Riley's offense can be a thing of beauty, but that defense, oh my God. Every game, we make the superstar out of somebody. New week, same show. Our defense can't stop nobody. I've never seen a, a defense that sucks the joy out of football. Like, for inches defense. Honestly, getting up to cheer last night or to make noise, and it felt like a chore in the second half. It was just like, what's the point? I made a good decision removing myself from USC football after that Notre Dame loss. It's not good for my health. In fact, I'm at the point now where I'm looking forward to next season. 
We're staring eight and four in the face, and if things really get ugly, seven and five and a three-game losing streak to end the season. It's been a nightmare. This season has been a nightmare. It's so frustrating. Senior Bar, yeah, I'm ashamed wearing wearing my USD gear. We don't, as a fan base, don't deserve this. Yeah, so apparently <laughs> the season finally has ended. I mean, I know we got more games, but yeah, that was pretty ugly. There was a shot of Grinch with his head down and his hands on his knees. And I think at that moment he knew it was over. Hey, on the bright side, Alex Grinch is gone. Probably fixes absolutely nothing, but hey, it's cathartic. We went from a rant line last night of being really depressed and being very sad about the USC loss to Washington to now legitimately having a rave on, baby, because Alex Grinch has been fired. anybody fired, but anybody who performs as badly as he did certainly deserves to be shown the door. At least we've got UCLA to play at the end of the season, and we'll probably beat them. Y'all have a good night and fight on. Fight on. Fight on. Fight on and fight out, baby. <laughs> Can you tell us, is Cameron from Frisco, Texas pumped up or what? <laughs> Cameron's a little bit pumped up, and I love it. <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, he, he is he is fired up. Um yeah, thanks for calling into the rant line as always. Uh, phone number 818-643-7227. You can call in, ask your questions, uh, and so much more. Leave your rants and your raves. Uh, let's open up the mailbag here. Go to a Slack message we got from Samuel in Africa, who says, how important is it to get a defense that matches the offense? If it's a good defense, it's a good defense. No. We that's, talked about this in the criteria, Ben. That's how I feel, Samuel. If it's a good defense, it's a good defense. I don't. Yeah. I, I. I think that the the bigger question is: Does Lincoln Riley want a defensive coordinator who scales towards aggressiveness, or do does he want one who scales towards um, sort of keeping things in front of him and and not giving up explosive plays and and forcing the other the the opposing offense to be as efficient as possible? I think there are arguments on both sides. Yeah. That is a question that that people would tend to say that aggressive defenses match the sort of aggressive offense, but I don't see why a more conservative defense couldn't succeed opposite this offense. Yeah, yeah, 100%. I, I, we've talked about it before, that if, if SC was too passive on, in the Wilcox era, they are too aggressive now, mm-hmm. uh, and that's a problem. They need to find a middle ground. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somewhere uh either way it can work um all diets work mm-hmm. oh you just you just gotta, stick, just gotta to stick to it yeah, yeah. You, you gotta you gotta do what you what what the plan is yeah execute the plan uh let's go to an email we got from jason uh hey guys yikes that was especially a rough one but again not the least surprising i predicted washington will win 56 45 and it pretty much went according to script i'm interested in the mentality of this team because they're a complete mess Sorry, but for all this talent, Caleb Williams is a head case. You saw it last year with his body language. Whenever things weren't going right, his weird way with the media and his boneheaded vow at the end of last season to go undefeated and win a national championship. There's an insecurity there that comes across as arrogance. 
He's a phenomenal talent, obviously, and will hopefully mature, but there's a lot going on between the ears that needs straightening out. Of course, if I played with one of the worst defenses in the nation and one of the worst defenses in school history, I'd be a head case too. What do you think about this team's psychology right now? Love you guys. Thanks for keeping me sane and fire Alex Grinch. Uh, Jason, class of 98. Uh, Don't have to worry about that last part anymore. Yeah, (laughs) got got your wish there. Um, Jason, (laughs) thank you for writing in. With all due respect, I think you're just buying into the weird narrative that we have around athletes right now. I, I think it's weird to look at the way that Caleb Williams is and think that he's anything but a a 21-year-old dude who's going out there and putting his heart on the line on every game that he just wants to be great to me. And if we're looking at somebody who wants to be great as badly as Caleb Williams does and thinking that he's arrogant or insecure or a head case, then I think we're looking at people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, it's just I just I just don't see it. I I don't think he's perfect. I think there are things that that he does that uh, that you know annoy me. I, I I get it. He's not perfect, but I don't think anyone is, especially elite athletes who probably have to trend towards arrogant in order to be as good at the thing that they do as they are. Um, I just don't see like the body language and stuff like that. Like I don't see it. USC fans got pissed off at at. Matt Barkley for laughing on the sideline during a during a blowout loss and then people get angry when Caleb's body language on the sideline while USC is going out there and losing isn't some I I don't know what you want from him in that scenario I saw a lot of criticism for his body language while he was sitting on the bench uh at the end of the or of the Utah game yeah, he was just sitting there watching the game unfold. I don't know what you want from him. I don't know what he's supposed to do in that situation. It's just I, I don't know. I I think we I think we treat athletes very unfairly um, when it comes to our perception of their emotions. That's yeah. just my take. Uh, give me Caleb Williams caring as much as he does. Give me Caleb Williams being who he is. Uh, over over anything else because I will continue to say he's the best college football player I have ever seen. Yeah, I I think the 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 thing here is everything goes back to the nails. And not painting the nails, but putting the message on the nails. And uh from last year the the F Utah thing which was really it wasn't just F Utah, it was F every opponent every that opponent up, that, up to that up, point, up, yeah. up to that point which was his thing um but also um if you don't win that's gonna look bad and even if you do look win, that's gonna look bad on you and that's one of those things that yeah he probably shouldn't have done and Mm -hmm. absolutely um but i think it's tainted his sort of appearance to a lot of people uh you go on reddit and any post on reddit about caleb williams and rcfb is negative about how like oh this guy is so arrogant uh, he's uh, hateable for all these things the national sentiment is not positive on caleb williams as a person and i think it all stems from the nails which is a because stupid everything thing. else like is is with this assumption that he is arrogant that i don't think is the case like um 
the people are mad that he that he tweeted last year LOL about Max Duggan crying when he was making a commentary about about people talking about players crying yeah, he wasn't he, actually laughing at Max Duggan but he puts just an LOL and maybe like this is uh, sure, maybe a lack of maturity that he just put LOL rather than explaining his full point. Because he was, if I remember correctly, he was LOLing the tweet that was talking about Max yes. Duggan in a positive light right. because he was crying. And the, the LOL was about when he cried after the Pac-12 t- title game, he got roasted for it. And Max Duggan cried in the in a similar context and he got praised for it. And it's it was completely within bounds, but the context gets lost because nobody wants to think with nuance or, or context. Yeah. And I saw a TikTok on Saturday night that was like and had all these views of this guy. Uh, Caleb is such an arrogant asshole because he tweeted this thing from Max Duggan and yet he's crying himself. And it's like all this stuff is like devoid of context. And I understand we're in this social media age where you, you lose the context of everything. But I think, and then every article that has come out about like, well, he wants ownership. He wants this. He wants that comes from vague quotes that his dad put out in the summer from a GQ article that like Caleb isn't sitting there at practice talking about like him wanting to be an owner of an NFL team. And yet these things end up coming back into where people are like, oh, well, he needs to focus on on football and stuff. Like, no, these quotes were from four months ago. From his, his dad, dad talking in generalizations about yeah. the monetization of athletes. Like, th- 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 that GQ article, the stuff from his dad, was more in the tenor of the way that NFL players are talking about their stake in the NFL billions, billion right. dollar machine. Other, you know, like Aaron Rodgers and 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 uh, Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and other high-profile athletes in the NFL are thinking about and looking at the ways that they can be they can increase their pieces of the pie. And Caleb Williams is not talking about that. Like Caleb isn't talking about those things at all. But Caleb's dad is talking about those from a business of athletics perspective considering the fact that his son is in the business of athletics yeah. and the family is conscious of the uh, of brand power and all of those. Like, it's, like, people are taking that personally in a way that that's not... Yeah. It's 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 more of a theoretical than a than a these are demands that he's making. Yeah. Uh, but again, people have picked their side on Caleb and, and to- roll with it. Yeah, and and the, like to go back to the nails thing really quick. Like, I think if he wouldn't have done that, I think it would have it would have not made so many of the assumptions about him be negative, which is is on him, and he's got to get better than that and improve yeah, but and mature. Nail- but he's also allowed the ability to mature from that. Right? The nail thing is such a stupid well, thing for people yeah, to pin. Everything well, that on. too, also because like. Because I've seen comparisons to Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield got ran down the street and was chased by a cop. Yeah. Like, Jameis Winston stole crab legs from a Publix. Like, yeah. <laughs> like the, the, the people that were, like, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. The, like, the... the, the the criticism that Caleb Williams but at the same time, is not, like... People, it, it feels the same, but it shouldn't be. A lot of people hated Tim Tebow. A lot of people yes. hate Patrick Mahomes. That's, a lot of people hate LeBron yes. James. People just hate 
there's an industry for hating athletes, uh, for hating public. Because we, we get tired of seeing people on TV. Yeah, yeah. People hate yeah. Taylor Swift. People hate, if you are a, <laughs> that's my point. Like, if you are a public figure, there will be people who hate you and they will use everything that you do against you as a reason to hate you. And it's kind of just, I don't know, I'm fatigued by it. Yeah. Personally. Yeah. Uh, but on this on this matter, we got a call from L.A. Fred. Hey, Rana Troy. This is L.A. Fred calling. I'm sure the rant line mailbox is full of, to the max with rants about the defense and Alex Grinch, et cetera, et cetera. But I want to take just a moment to focus on Caleb Williams and the post-game crying and tears that he shed with his mom and his family in the stands after the game. I saw a lot of clowns on social media saying that he's a sissy and he needs to learn how to handle a loss better and blah, blah, blah. What's the, one of the sayings on social media? Tell me you've never been an athlete without telling me you've never been an athlete. That sums it up perfectly. As a fan, I love seeing this emotion from him. He clearly cares and gives a damn about this program and showed us all just how much it means to him. And as fans, how do we not appreciate and love him for that? Now, speaking as a former athlete, I can assure you, the respect level that he has amongst his teammates and coaching staff in that locker room just rose to an infinite level. He's the leader that doesn't just give you lip service buy-in about being inspirational. He takes it to the next level and puts his heart out there, and if those are the type of people that you are willing to rise up and follow. Caleb, good on you, and even though we lost on Saturday night, you made me proud to be a Trojan fan. Have a good week. Fight on, everybody. Yeah, thanks for thanks for the call, Fred. Yeah, and that's the the flip side of the, the the last email. I think that for everyone, I think that maybe is critical of Caleb Williams, both in the fan base and externally. There's absolutely a bunch of people like Ellie Fred who are who see that and like resonate with the thing. I thought the thing about the cuddling uh, his dog and, and watching TV, like that was the most relatable thing that Caleb Williams has ever said. The most relatable thing that I've ever heard an athlete say. Yeah. As after a loss, after a loss as a fan, that's yeah. what you want. You just want to just go home and forget what the loss, the way it made you feel and cuddle with your, with your dog. If you have a dog or your cat yeah. or whatever it is that makes you feel that makes you feel a sense of warmth and positivity. Like that is the most <laughs> relatable thing. Right. What I love about Caleb and the crying and the emotion and, and all of that is just that one of the things that's a little bit hard about looking at athletes as a fan is when you see quotes from players who are like, who don't watch the game. Not because they're not committed to being great as an athlete, but because they just, they don't seem to love the game the way that we love the game. Like there's so many athletes who don't watch sports. There's so many, like we talk all the time about recruits. Like the reason that recruits usually aren't impacted by wins and losses is because most of them aren't watching. Like that's not how they spend their Saturdays. Right. They don't spend their Saturdays watching college football. Yeah. They're playing foot champs. Which makes them not relatable to me because this is what I care about. My entire mood is dependent on the, on what USC does on a Saturday. And it's maybe, it's not the healthiest thing, but it, it, but it is the way it is as a fan. And 
I will defend like Matt Barkley to the end of the earth for standing on the sidelines and laughing and and sort of being un- unbothered or whatever. I will defend athletes to the end of the earth on that front. But I appreciate when I see an athlete also who is relatable to me in the sense that they care. It matters that they've lost. It matters that like they are emotionally invested in in what's going on. And showing that emotion is, uh, I appreciate it because we, it's, cause it's actually quite rare in, yeah. in the sport. Yeah. And, and, you know, to go, to go back to the last email really, really quick before we move on the, the thing about the arrogance thing. Um, I think that some of the things that Caleb has said about the, like the, the guy who rushed the field at Notre Dame about the, the, the something about the, the lion doesn't, yeah doesn't, uh, doesn't concern himself with, with the, the sheep, sheep or whatever. With opinions like, of sheep. Yeah. Which is just a quote that's I, just like think, a quote. I think those things are arrogant, yes. But like we talk about coach speak, there's athlete speak. Mm-hmm. Athlete speak is extremely arrogant and egocentric. Go, like, go look at Deion Sanders' Twitter and you will see just quote after quote after quote after quote that is the perfect epitome yeah. of athlete speak. These yeah. are just inspirational quotes that... Yeah. Yeah. We're we're, ta- we're talking about guys that put like massive pictures. I mean, tattoos of lions on their shoulders. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like these are what. Yeah. These are like the. These are dudes who can you know consider themselves alphas and all these things like that. Yeah, that's yeah. How, that's how athletes talk. Yeah. That's how that's how people talk. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's go to a voicemail we got from uh, Dan in Valley Village. Bridge gone, and this season pretty much um, over for at least um, any sort of uh, title sort of uh, aspirations. How do we feel about next year's team? I mean, who's quarterbacking and obviously who's the defensive coordinator are still questions that need to be resolved, but where did that leave us automatically right now? I hate being the guy that's asking about next year already, but I have to. Anyway, Thanks. Bye, Don. Thanks for the call, Dan. I'm not worried about the offense at all. Uh, I know that, yeah, SC's not going to have Caleb Williams last year, but talked about it before. Ad nauseum, Lincoln Riley replaces good quarterbacks with good quarterbacks. So he's going to have somebody. Don't worry about that part. The offense is even the, oh, oh dear, the horrible 2020 year, uh, the the bad Lincoln Riley year of, of offense uh, Spencer Rattler's quarterback rating was a buck seventy-two, which would be a USC school record to this point. Like they're going to find somebody that gets the offense to move. That's not the problem. Look at you know, SC didn't have Marshawn Lloyd uh, to play against Washington. They were still able to run the ball and still plug and play there. They, we talk about the the wide receiver core is not good this year compared to what people ex- talked about expectations. It down from last year and yet look how successful Caleb Williams is in throwing the football. Like they're going to be able to move the ball on offense. They're going to have an offense that will be able to score 40 points against anyone in the country. Take that to the bank. That is going to be the case on offense on defense. I think it all comes down to who did they hire on, on, on uh defend uh, as a defensive coordinator. What are the changes in the transfer portal? And you go from there. Yeah, I, I co-sign everything. I think the the biggest concern on offense is just that the offensive line will continue to be a, a giant question mark, even, an even bigger question mark than the quarterback because yeah. 
I am very confident USC is not going to have another Caleb Williams. Uh, Lincoln Riley is not going to have another Caleb Williams. That's I'm not expecting that level. But Lincoln Riley's track record with quarterbacks is so impeccable that I am just simply not worried. If he picks Miller Moss, it's because Miller Moss is good enough. If he picks Malachi Nelson, it's because Malachi Nelson is good enough. And if he pulls somebody out of the portal, it's because they're good enough to run to run his offense. Um, running back, I, it will suck to lose Austin Jones and likely Marshawn Lloyd uh, to the NFL, but uh, and, and Darwin Barlow as well. But Quentin Joyner and Amarian Peterson are great looking talents and USC can go find somebody in the, in the portal again as well. Running back will be fine. Wide receiver will be fine. In my opinion, you, you're losing Brendan Rice and probably Dorian Singer, maybe Mario Williams, but you've got more of Michael Jackson, the third, more of Kyron Hudson, Jacoby Lane, Zachariah branch, uh, Makai lemon, Deuce Robinson. Like there, that's being restocked. Yeah. Offensive line is still the biggest question mark because you're going to lose four of your five starters Five of maybe you might lose every single starter on this line, because uh, we have to assume Jonah Monheim will go pro. Uh, well, you'll you'll return Pregnant, I think, still has eligibility. You lose Dietrich, Kingston, and Tarquin. Yeah. So you're really depending on a lot of the younger guys that you've brought in, but these are also more recruits that were recruited by this USC staff. They can go portaling again. They can figure it out. So. The offense will be fine. The defense, it's all defensive coordinator. We'll see. We'll yeah. See. You no, but the plus side is you return Bear Alexander no matter what on that defense theoretically. So yeah, for for sure. That's the important thing. Yeah, and the schedule is going to be hard. We we know that too. So I think that next year, if if anything else, next year might be just focus on the eye test. Yeah. Because the uh, the the record might not be indicative of of how. Uh, good USC gets in terms of like uh, like improving. They, they might improve, uh, but might have the same record next year. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. The schedule is crazy. Um, let's go to an email from John in Oakland, higher end of Troy. Well, now that the USC football season has officially ended, all right, we've still got at least two more losses to witness. Maybe we'll pass on go to going to a bottom tier bowl game and avoid future embarrassment on national TV. What about a bowl game in North Korea against a team handpicked by fearless Supreme leader King Jong-un and a pregame motivational speech of, hello, comrades, please win or soon say hello to my personal collection of large caliber artillery guns. The last two years under Riley, a.k.a. Helton 2.0, Show again the curse of USC. This team should have been seven and five last season. Made some co- coaching staff changes, and then eight and four, nine and three this year, with everyone feeling great about him and the direction of the program. Instead, we're questioning the wisdom of this of giving this young head coach ten million dollars a year for the product we've been seeing week after depressing week. This raises my final point that Riley is a young head coach who hasn't really had to make tough staffing changes. Staffing change, yes, tough staffing changes and decisions. I can't read today. Uh, does he have it in his current DNA to fire an entire defensive staff? Uh, can he do it necessarily to find a new defensive coordinator with a philosophy and playbook that marries well with his offense? Up to this point in his career as a head coach at Oklahoma and USC, there's zero evidence that he does. Fight on and see you in the Big Ten, John in Oakland. John, thanks for the email. I love you. But you're just factually wrong here. I'm sorry. 
Lincoln Riley fired a full defensive staff at Oklahoma. While he was at Oklahoma, he fired McNeil at Oklahoma. He fired his defensive coordinator. Stoops. Mike Stoops. Sorry, Stoops. Uh, he has now fired Alex Grinch in year two at USC. He's also a head coach who has won 10-plus games in all but two seasons of his, of his coaching career. 12 wins more often than not. His track record is very, very strong. I do I think do I think is a certainty that he is a national title winning head coach? I don't know. The jury's still out on that. But he's got the DNA of a winner because he's literally been a winner this entire time. Like this is the worst season he's gonna have in his coaching career, and he's still making a bowl game. I I like to, it it frustrates me to no end to call him Helton 2.0. Because Helton should never have been hired as a head coach in the first place. Helton was never an elite uh, an elite coordinator. He was never the profile or caliber of coach that should have been brought to USC in the first place, which is why it was easy to sort of give up on him early on because he hadn't earned that position. Lincoln Riley is absolutely the caliber of coach that USC should have gone out and hired and doing so and people just jumping off the ship in less than two seasons makes me think that maybe USC fans don't deserve to win anything going forward. I, I mean, I, I'm sorry. Like if this is the, if this is the degree of the, of the judgment that's going to happen to every coaching staff, then USC fans don't deserve to win anything because there's zero thing. There's, there's no sense of patience there's no sense of of being reasonable and understanding why things go wrong when they go wrong. There's jumping off the ship three seasons before you should be jumping off the ship. Like, yeah, I was on board with the Clay Helton frustration after year three, after year four, after year five. Like that tenure went on way too long. But like people are just after in year a. Two. I mean, but after, even after year two, after the first, people again are using the Clay Helton, Lincoln Riley has a worse record than Clay Helton in his first two seasons. It's like, well, yeah, Link, Clay Helton's record in his first two seasons was pretty damn good. So like, stop it. Like the Clay Helton judgment was completely valid after the 2018, 2018 season. But like, I think expectation, like we're, ta we're talking about Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. The expectations are insane. I don't know how anybody. I I I just I can't with with any of this. Like, it's a it's a crappy season. Lincoln messed up in his defensive coordinator hire. But like, if you're miserable with the potential that this program has in this current state, you will never be happy. Go I go be like honestly, just go be a Kirby Smart. Stand over and 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 watch Georgia and be a Georgia fan. Otherwise, you will be miserable every single week of every single year. I I am with you. I agree. Uh, at the same time, like, I get why people are frustrated. I get the frustration, uh, yeah. but, like, Helton 2.0? Like, there's right. levels, no, guys. Well, yes, there's, there's levels. Absolutely, yeah. Lincoln Riley and Clay Helton are not in the same stratosphere. Yes, uh, yes. Should uh, Lincoln Riley be making ten million a year? Yes, his record says so. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I think people get get sort of it's hung up on, on, the, on the mean, money. Well, in in some cases, it is. I mean, yeah. Depending on if you're a booster or not. Uh, yeah. Um. But the uh, yeah. I 
I, I don't think that this is Helton 2.0, but also this is to, to go back to John's thing about the, the curse of USC. Like I, I think this is what USC has been for so long. Like, I, I think it's easy to, easy to forget the curse the, of USC is having won two national championships this century. How many programs have done that? Well, no, no, I agree. The yes. curse of USC is their worst seasons being yes. one one losing season under Clay Hilton and a second one right. when he got fired. Like, yes, that's the the curse of USC. USC has it good. Like, look at Nebraska. No, I I agree. <sighs> I agree with you. Yes, USC has it good. Uh, the 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 point that I'm that. I don't know if this is exactly what John is pointing out with with the curse of USC thing, but like, I, yes, there's there's Robinson and McKay and Carroll and Jones. Outside of those four guys, there is a canyon until the next best head coach. Every other single one of them has been this thing, this, this middle ground, this nine win purgatory kind of thing, this like over like you can talk about you know overhype and under delivering and all those that's what literally every head coach at usc aside from mckay carroll jones and robinson have been literally every single one tolner smith uh john mckay who famously won four games in his first two seasons. Well, it won yes. eight, won eight yes. games total in his first two seasons, had multiple six and four seasons after winning national titles, multiple seven. Like mm-hmm. he won, he lost three or three McKay or four would have been games fired several times seasons. over by today's standards. Yes. Uh, he has maybe, uh, maybe less than a handful of seasons in his 15 years at USC. There's like four of them where he didn't lose three or four games. Yes. Which is also like, I, I find it funny about the, the, the James Franklin thing that, you know, Penn State fans are frustrated with James Franklin. Go look at what Joe Paterno did. Yes, he won a national championship somewhat early in his career in 1984 or whatever it was. But, like, is is Joe Paterno on a yearly basis doing anything different than, than what Franklin did? No. It's the same thing. What changes our standards and our expectations uh, in college football? Because... I, I was just looking up Rich Brooks, Oklahoma, uh, Oregon's coach. His name is on the field at Autzen Stadium. It's Rich Brooks Field at Autzen Stadium. The dude had 10 winning seasons in 25 years as a head coach at Oregon and Kentucky. You look at his at his tenure, he would have been fired so many times. Mike Bellotti is a guy that people talk about, right? You look at it, go look at his, his wins and losses. He would have been fired in today's thing well before he was able to to win games at Oregon. Like the the standards now are so drastically different than they ever have been in before. And so much of that is because of the money because yes, guys like like Lincoln Riley, Riley are making 10 10 million dollars a year, but also there is this extreme standard about like you have to win a national championship or else or else you're a failure. And I understand that. But also, it's difficult in a sport where there are, what, three head coaches, four head coaches in America that have national championships, and one of them is Jimbo Fisher. You know what I mean? Like, there's four dudes. Look at baseball and how many teams in the last 20 years have won a World Series 
compared to college football and how many programs have won a national championship. It is like night and day. I, I, you know, th- th- in so many instances, this is like being Dortmund and being upset about where, where you finish in the Bundesliga. But at the same time, obviously you want to win the Bundesliga and obviously you want to be able to, to get over the hump and take that next step. So I think that being frustrated with Lincoln Riley is totally valid. Comparing him to Clay Helton is a little bit ridiculous. Absolutely. I agree. At the same points, I agree with the sentiment of like what SC has done is also very comparable to what SC has done literally ever with the exception of the Carroll era and McKay's few good years and Robinson's good years and uh, Jones's good years, etc. I I, th- I think we I think we overgloss how dominant old teams have been for literally every like yes the, the this is saying. historically there so many of these things are like historically terrible but there's there's like seven win seasons in the seventies and no one remembers. You don't even have to go back that far. You look I know, at like I know you don't. In in the year before Nick Saban wins his first national title, he goes eight and five with LSU. That was his third season at LSU, by the way. Yeah. Like it is ridiculous that people are like, it's okay to be frustrated, but the frustration is acting like, well, this is the end, guys. It's just Helton 2.0 and USC's gonna have to fire this guy because the, it's like it's like, guys, come on, just can it just be this was a bad year? Let's move on to the next one. Like, let's see what happens. I don't. I. I. We've had this conversation a million times. I know I should just stop having it, but it just it's it's silly because I see too many people talking this way. And again, I will reiterate: if this is the way that you're evaluating head coaches, then you will be miserable at all times because you will require a head coaching change every three years, and every three years your coach will fail because you have created a self fulfilling prophecy that is unsustainable and unwinnable yeah yeah uh let's go to email from uh tony and nora pa uh michael and alicia this is tori from the uh, tony from the nora pa just a couple things about the firing of grinch it was long overdue but i expect i wasn't expecting until the end of the season lincoln must get this higher right he must do his homework and bring somebody in that can match him as a coordinator been a fan since the mid-70s and we were always considered a physical team back when we pounded defensive lines to death with student body right and left even though the 80s and 90s uh, we didn't have a lot of great teams but no one ever called us soft the worst thing you can say about an athlete is that they're soft Pete Carroll's teams were never called soft hopefully a new defensive coordinator can bring in some physicality bring SC back to being respected and a dominant defense yeah I think that's absolutely one of those things you want and I think that if SC has success that will you will look back at it and say they are more physical those are those are like the the anecdotal things I think stand up. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. You make a make a good defensive coordinator hire. That defensive coordinator is good at their job. The mm-hmm. defense will look better. People will say, "Oh, they play physical." <laughs> Just, yeah, but yeah. but it, but like because he, he's the, right. because because when you're good at your job as a defensive coordinator, like that's what that's what comes with it. Yeah. 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 When when you're a good offensive coordinator, you score runs. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, email from Jake. Uh, onside kick after every touchdown, please. 
Uh, what difference does it make if the other team gets the ball at the 25 or the 50? We can't stop anyone anyways. Oh, and if they put 10 guys to defend the onside kick, you mix in some pooch kicks and watch everyone run around chasing a bouncing football. Fight on forever, Jake. Let's make Jake USC's uh, special teams coordinator. I think... Legitimately, they, they should have just started doing onside kicks against Washington. I don't know why they didn't, like... I. Maybe it would have been too obvious to start the second half with one. Yeah. But I think there absolutely should have been one when you weren't getting a single stop in that game. Like, I guess well, the, like, at least the sneak one. Uh, like, I guess the problem is that if you start doing that, it kind of signals that you just don't, you're just have lost complete faith in your defense. But uh, I don't know. But at the, a certain point, the sneak like it's one, like one random sneak one in there doesn't yeah. doesn't necessarily say that. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I agree. In the second half, it, that probably should have been USC's. In a game where you got to find a way to sneak a possession, mm-hmm. yes, they should have absolutely done that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Slack message or uh, sorry, Discord message we got from Tim in LA. Uh, it seems like Lincoln wanted to wait till the end of the season to make coaching changes, but uh, when do you think he actually made the decision that Grinch wouldn't be returning? What's the strategy with a particular with particular interim co DCs? Are these guys Lincoln would try to retain, or does the new DC have free reign? First personnel, and is Alicia more excited that Grinch was fired or that she doesn't have to eat a pickle with hot sauce? Friends, there is a reason I made that bet. I would not have made that bet, the pickle hot sauce hot sauce best bet, if I wasn't one hundred percent confident that Alex Grinch would be fired. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a reason I did it, so I'm I'm more excited that Grinch was fired now, and we don't have to go through another two weeks of having the the Grinch discussion. Uh, I was never worried about that bet. (laughs) That that bet was not going to be paid off. That bet was going to be the end of this podcast (laughs) if Alex Grinch was retained. Uh, Because at that point, I I would have just ceased to be a USC fan. There's no joy in it. Um, I think Lincoln wanted to wait until after the season, but I believe him when he says, like, they looked at what happened with Washington and realized that it just wasn't going to work. I don't know. He would never tell us if this was the case. But to me, the really telling thing was there was a clip going around of Grinch in the defensive huddle trying to, like, get a defensive huddle started. And no one got up to do the break with him. And it was like, bro, you're, you're done. There's no keeping him. So... Yeah, I, I, uh, on on the last one is uh, Lincoln Riley should have a blank check to hire a defensive coordinator, and that defensive coordinator should have a hire a blank check to hire his staff. No one should be retained. Yes, yes. Uh, in that in that same huddle, you'd probably notice that Lincoln Riley wasn't in it. Uh, he gives full ownership of the defense, seemingly to the defensive coordinator, and so therefore, the defensive coordinator should have all the hires. Mm-hmm. That 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 easy. Uh, let's wrap this up with a second voicemail that we got from uh, Dan in Valley Village. Hey, Raina Troy, it's Dan from Valley Village again. I have a super important question, and I am absolutely serious here. Are those Drizzly commercials real-life experiences for you guys? Because I feel a lot of tension in them, and I feel like Michael may have taken the last beer at least once or twice, and I'm borderline getting angry at Michael for doing that to Alicia. So I need to know, are these Drizzly commercials for real life? Get back to us. Fight on. Alicia, what, what, what say you? By the, by the way, if, you, if you're watching this on YouTube, 
Uh, you don't know about the Drizzly commercials. <laughs> uh, we, we record our own ads now uh, dynamically that get put in um, the, the, if you listen like on Apple Podcasts. So you'll hear ads for Drizzly and there's other companies that we've done that I won't mention because sometimes the, the contracts end. But uh, Drizzly is one of those 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 companies. But uh, we find a f- tr- we try to make them fun so that way it's not just us reading the thing. Like we try to write a script and, and make it them make them fun a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, as to the uh, the the scenario, whether whether or not that is that is real life, um, please please tell the people the truth. Michael doesn't drink the same drinks that I drink, so <laughs> the truth of the matter is yeah. that uh, that uh, <laughs> Michael doesn't really drink beer at home. He, you're you're a an order of beer out kind of guy, but uh, as far as Drizzly's concerned, the 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 the, the ad is one thousand percent true. Of course, one hundred percent true yes. in terms of Drizzly uh-huh. being yeah. the number one. Uh, the the number one app, uh, app yeah. for for ordering d r i z l y yeah yes one yeah. that that one hundred percent true <laughs> um creative uh creative measures may have been taken to uh, explain a scenario wherein Michael might have taken the last beer uh but uh, more realistically in that ad maybe we maybe we create an uh, the undercurrent of tension is that I drank the last beer. And then was blaming Michael for doing so. It was gaslighting. You were I've gaslighting. I've gaslit oh Michael God. into thinking that maybe he drank the last beer when, in fact, I drank the last beer because I would only be the only one that would be drinking it. Yeah. Um, hmm. So that's maybe what the, you know the dramatic undercurrent. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's is exactly what happened. So, yeah. uh, redemption for me, redemption <laughs> for me is is the important thing, and we'll see if uh, there'll be redemption for USC and the defense uh, this week. Uh, USC playing Oregon on Saturday night, seven thirty uh, p.m. Uh, on on Fox. So uh, check that out then. But we will be back uh, to talk about USC and Oregon on Wednesday night, hopefully live. Hopefully we get our YouTube thing figured out. Uh, it's very frustrating. We're trying to figure it out. Yep. Um, it's it's hmm, it's a thing. Uh, but uh, hopefully we'll be we'll be back then. So uh, until then, we will see ya. See ya. Yeah. See ya.